Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Uh, Glad that you guys are here today. Uh, This today and then sets us up for next week. Next week is Easter. And so uh, for those of you that uh, some of us looking forward to that, some of us we got family coming together, so maybe we're a little bit nervous about that. But uh, we're going to have a great Easter here. Um, we're going to do something uh, a little bit different. you got some options. Uh, we're going to have, everyone's going to participate. All right? There's nobody, you can't just sit on the sidelines. We're going to join the kids. We're buying a ton of Easter eggs with all kinds of fun things inside. We're going to have a little competition. It's going to be competition Easter. All right? So bring your track shoes. Stretch out the hammies, guys. If you're over 30, start stretching out the hammies, all right? And uh, But we're going to have some fun with the kids. Make it fun for them. Make it fun for ourselves. And um, and so that'll be part of the, the service. We'll have a worship and teaching next week, too. But um, it's just a lot of joy next week. And then also the church next to us, I don't know if you know this, but Livingstone's Church, uh, Justin's the pastor over there, him and his wife. And uh, we connect with them, and they're awesome. They've been super supportive, and, and we're supportive of them. And uh, so sometimes when you hear noise, like you might hear music or Justin's a little loud. He likes to yell a little bit. Sometimes you'll hear that. He's not angry. He's just happy, but he's a, he's a yeller. And uh, so that's Livingstone's church over there. And uh, he invited us. He's like, listen, we're going big, bro. I'm like, well, how big is big? He goes, we're bringing in a helicopter to drop eggs out. I'm like, that's big. He's like, I want to invite you guys over. We have food trucks and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, awesome. I have one question, which is the most important question. I go, do we have to help pay for anything? He's like, no. I'm like, we're in, bro. Our church is in. We love free stuff. Um, but it, Easter really is a great opportunity to bring people that are disconnected from church or disconnected from God or just disconnected in a way to be able to connect them in. It's going to be a lot of fun next week. That's the goal uh, because it's a joyous day. And so if we can't have fun when Jesus comes from death to life, then you can't have fun at ever, at ever in life, right? And so we're going to have a lot of fun next week. And then he invited us over. And so, again, if you want to invite families or even our families, go over there. They're going to have even more Easter eggs afterwards, and they'll have food trucks. And so I know a lot of us have plans and things like that, but maybe stop over there, support them. And so I just want to give you a heads up on, on that. Hey, uh, if you want to follow along with worship, too, you can download our church app. It's on uh, uh, everything as far as the iPhone um, and then also Android. You can look it up, Google um and on apple and so it's really access church we are the green and black icon there's only a few access churches we have the green and black icon and so uh you have our worship songs are on the app every week just so you know that's why we don't have a screen and then also you can take notes on your phone so you don't have to lose it and i know we have paper notes too but for some of us uh we just want to write it down save it on our phones that's an option also want to remind you guys we're on break from connection groups for two weeks and the next connection groups start the week after, or a couple weeks after Easter. And so if you want to join a connection group, this is a great time because they'll start up again. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we host at our home both nights, Wednesday and Thursday night. And we also have a video online option for people that are more comfortable on video. So we have in-person, online, uh, but you can check that out on our website or on the app, you can sign up and uh, join a connection group coming up. So we'll start that in a few weeks. If you're in a connection group, if you don't do anything, you stay in the same group. Otherwise, email me or text me if we need to move you or if you're gonna be taking a break uh, over this next uh, week. Uh, one of the thing is children's ministry, we're beginning to 
to ramp that up as far as a little more organization and a little more um, uh, kind of working towards some goals that we have in children's ministry. So I just met with Selena and Nayeli who lead the children's ministry. So we're going to have a children's ministry meeting after church in a couple weeks. And so we'll provide food for you, but we just need to do a little bit of get together training, let you know kind of what our vision is. I'm super excited about it, about what we want to accomplish. And it really is we want to accomplish something with the kids and how you can participate in that. So if you get an email from them or a phone call, do not decline it. Do not delete it. Um, that means that we think you'd be a great part of it. And so uh, let them know if that's something that you want to be a part of. And if not, we might just contact you even if you don't contact us as we're building this team. So just a heads up on that. And remember when I shared about our vision for this year, children's ministry this year is where we want to strengthen ourselves as a church. So it's purposeful and intentional. And we're looking forward as far as when new families come that they know their kids are having a great time and uh, that they feel um, comfortable leaving them in children's ministry. So it's one of our goals. I want to give you Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the thesis for today, as I always do, one statement. I'm going to pray. As I pray, if you want to move around, get back to your seats, that's fine. And then um, we're going to jump into the passage. We're going to be in, um, we'll actually be in two passages today. Matthew 27, we'll be in Matthew 27 and John 19. Those are two passages today. Um, let me give you the statement. The statement is this. If you want to write this down or type it on your, uh, on your phone, the power of the cross, the power, when we talk about the power of the cross, is it takes us from being morally in debt to righteous abundance. The power of the cross, why, why, why is that such a big deal when we talk about the cross? Is it takes us from being morally in debt and the cross transitions us to being in righteous abundance. I'm gonna explain that today. So let me pray and then go ahead and get comfortable, get ready if you need to get out of the sun or if you want to be in the sun or if you want to move around. Here we go. Jesus, thank you so much for today. And, and thank you for clarifying for us, for clarifying for us, Jesus, how we get out of hopelessness and how we get out of true enslavement. Being enslaved to death, being enslaved to this life, and without even knowing it, being enslaved to Satan, whether inadvertently or on purpose, God, working for him rather than being a part of the family and working for the very one who loves us and has good plans for us. Today is a day of freedom. And I pray that the way we felt when we got out of debt would be the feeling spiritually we'd have today, or for some of us, that feeling of being in debt and we feel hopeless that we would see how we don't have to be hopeless spiritually. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the problem with being a human being is this. As soon as we are born, we are born in debt, and many of us continue to live in debt. Debt is a normal thing. Uh, but we're actually born in debt. Even the mo person that says they're most self-made person, they've been helped by someone. They've been helped by a teacher. They've been helped by a parent. They've been helped by a grandma or grandpa. And we always forget that, don't we? Always forget that. The most self-made person. I was watching a video on an MMA fighter who's like, I've done it on my own. I've done all my things. And, and yet he just told a story about how all his coaches helped him, about when he was poor, that they let him stay in the gym. And he totally forgot about it. It's like, you're indebted to them. And then he had this property. And it's like, I built all these homes myself and all that kind of stuff. 
And he forgot. It's like, yeah, but grandpa put down the money for you to own that property. I, it, we, we forget that, but truly we live in debt. Now we see this in our society as far as uh, the 2008, 9, 10 crisis, housing crisis. What happens? People got in over their head. They got in debt. They could not pay it back. And what the crazy thing about debt is we think it's just about us, right? So student loan debt right now. What's the end thing right now? Forgive it. Who pays for that though? Well, the government. No, the government's not a business. They don't make money. <laughs> Somebody pays them. So what happens, what we don't realize is our debt doesn't just make a mess of our lives. It actually makes a mess of lives around us. Now, because we're morally, in a sense, bankrupt, right? And if you don't think we're morally bankrupt, maybe someone's come today bank, Brian, come on. People start off good. It's society that makes them bad. You speak as a person who's never had a child. That's all you speak of. Because any of us, any of us that have had a human being come out of them, instantly we never have to train them to lie, to steal, to say no. We don't have to train them to do that. You have to train them to become righteous. You don't train them like, hey, this is how you lie and get away with things in the home. You never have to do that. It's instinctive, right? So we're obviously not born on this slate of just this goodness, this preciousness, this... And the Bible explains that. That's the beauty of the word of God is it gives truth saying, listen, you're born instantly morally bankrupt. And what's crazy is you can never pay that back. And many of us know what it's like to not be able to pay our bills or pay the credit card or make the mortgage. I mean, it's the worst feeling in the world. It's why during that 2008, 2010, the suicide rate skyrocketed, but amongst people between the ages of 30 to 50, that age group shot up, not teenagers, why? Hopeless. Well, we do one of two things, either we become hopeless or we lash out and blame others for our own indebtedness. It's the bank's fault, it's the government's fault, it's this fault, it's that. we do one of two things. But we have to take responsibility and especially spiritually. This is why the cross is important is because we can't handle our own responsibility. Now, some of us come here today and we're like, Brian, no way. I can pay out of my own debt. I got money. I got plenty of morality. I can be a good person. I can do good things. But here's the thing is God's economy is different than the money that you have. It's like a child. I don't know. I grew up on it. I don't know if anybody plays it anymore, but Monopoly. Heard of that game? The game where you go around, buy homes and apartments, you know, that's fun, you know. And as a kid, as soon as your parents start giving the money, you think you're rich. You're seeing 500 on a piece of paper. You're seeing 100. I remember just, like, that's where greed started for me as a young kid. Like, oh, I like the feel of money. I like it. And then kicking someone out of their home, like, yeah, my property, right? That sin nature was just going, right? But I like the feel of it. But here's the thing as a kid, could I go to 7-Eleven and buy something with that Monopoly money? They would laugh at you. And some of us, our righteousness is like Monopoly money. It means nothing in God's economy. It has no value. This is huge, you guys. True morality comes from the cross. True righteousness that, that is in God's economy means something comes from him. Only he can lead us to true moral and righteous economy in abundance. He wants to give you something different. So this is the, the power of the cross. And I'm going to show you today as far as what Jesus says on the cross that illustrates this. 
Now, before I jump to John, I want to give a little bit of backstory because Jesus is going to say some powerful words. It's actually one word in Greek, but we translate it into three words. But before he says those words, we've got to build up to what led to it. So Matthew 27, let's start as far as, again, we've been going through John for a few months. In the last few weeks, we've been focused on the last week of the life of Jesus and the importance of those things. And now we come to the place as far as what his true purpose was. Matthew 27, Jesus has been on trial for something he didn't do. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been spit on. He's been stripped down to almost complete nakedness. By the way, this is why the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, chapter 4 says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Anything you go through, beaten down, abused, neglected, misunderstood, mocked, Jesus goes, "Uh uh-huh. That's why he's the perfect savior. He was not only the perfect man, he's the perfect savior and he's the perfect counselor. There's nothing you can go through. Nothing. I've been betrayed at the deepest levels, Brian. Yes, so did Jesus. Betrayed at the deepest level of people that should have loved him by his own family, by his own friends. Brian, I'm, I'm poor. I'm making it month to month. Yes, says that he didn't have a home to lay his head down when he was doing ministry. Verse 45, at around noon, which means for about 14 hours, he's been physically punished, mentally punished, mocked by different leaders. And it says that about noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. At around three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Around three o'clock, the whole world was rocked physically because what was happening supernaturally. For the first time in human history and for the first time in the history of anything natural or supernatural, the Trinity, which had always been in perfect unity, something happened and we don't know how. But one person in the Trinity, Jesus, in order to take on the sins of the world, the punishment for it, the wrath of God. And by the way, when we look at the wrath of God being poured on Jesus, some of us are like, that angry God, we just look at and go, that doesn't, I I don't feel comfortable around an angry God. How can you not? Think about what God sees every day. Think about the sin he sees, the children being abused, hundreds of thousands around the world. Think about the child slave trade, sexual slave trade. Every day, thousands upon thousands, the abuse that happens in homes, the lies that are in our hearts and our mouths, millions of people, billions of people. Think about the the self-righteousness, people that act a certain way and Jesus knows their heart and they're not a certain way. People that act like they're Christians, but then go throughout the week scoring goals for the devil, not for God. And he sees that hypocrisy. He sees that. How can you not? Who watches the news and sees evil and is like, eh, you have to be a jaded person. Where's the anger that says that's wrong? 
That has to stop. Well, you don't understand how they grew up. I don't care how they grew up. That has to stop. You see, there is a righteous anger. And I think sometimes the church has maybe lost it. We get angry about a car pulling in front of us. And then we see the news or we see evils that are happening. We're like, eh, not my problem. Stock market's up today. I'm okay. My kids are good. I'm okay. But God sees all this, feels all this. And he says, either you pay or someone else has to pay. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus is our replacement. And so the wrath was poured out. So he says, why have you forsaken me? Because this Trinity that has only known love, the Bible says God is love. All they've known is love. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Father, all they've known is love. And now wrath is being poured out, anger. For a man that did not sin, and Jesus bore that because it's either him who's eternal and can take death and rise again. If we get the wrath of God, we're done, demolished. Our souls cannot survive that. Are you seeing what Jesus is going through on the cross? A break in relationship? In a sense, a personal hell. I'm not saying he went to hell. But a personal hell, because what is hell? Well, it's to be cut off from the very person that's supposed to love you, right? What, what's a living hell as a child growing up when you feel unloved by your parents? 100%. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how good you were at sports, what your GPA was. If you live in an unloving home where I do not feel loved, that's the worst home ever. And Jesus was cut off and the wrath was poured on. It says when those standing there heard this, they thought he was calling to Elijah and immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. And by the way, I, I, I put this on my notes. And I just saw I read over it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That comes from Psalm 22, just so you know. It was prophesied that the Messiah would actually say that. And then read the rest of Psalm 22 because it goes from despair, read the whole thing, and it goes to hope. And this is why Jesus says this, but knowing that as he's being forsaken, that it ends in love and hope. So it comes from Psalm 22. So it says that uh, the wine vinegar put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Obviously, they didn't understand what was going on supernaturally there, that Jesus was dying for them. And then it says in verse 50 that when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit voluntarily. He gave it up. Nobody took it. He gave it up. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Just so you know, that's important because what that symbolizes is for thousands of years, no person has been able to really have a personal relationship face-to-face with God. That's what the temple was uh, for thousands of years is that the high priest would go in after the bulls were killed. They were the example of you sin, someone's got to die and it was animals. And that's why they were offering these, you know, sacrificing these animals. And then a priest would go in into this, this inter, they call it the Holy of Holies, this place that was sacred and on behalf would represent the people as far as for their transgressions, for forgiveness and things like that. And he would actually sprinkle blood onto the, uh, the little altar there and things like that. And so, They had this ceremony. That curtain was torn in two, which symbolizes that no longer do you need someone to represent you. 
to God, but you can go straight to God. So that was powerful representation of what Jesus does is he takes away the middleman and we go straight to God. It says the temple uh, curtain was torn in two, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. What's crazy is the bodies of many holy people who had died there were raised to life. And here's what's interesting is they came out of their tombs after the resurrection of Jesus and went into the holy city and peered to many people. When the centurion, those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God, which had to make them feel awkward because these were the very centurions that slapped him and mocked him and put crowns of thorns on him and spit on him and stole his clothes. Boy, that's an awkward moment. And even they were convinced this man is supernatural. He's not like any other criminal. Now let's go to John 19, because look at what Jesus says on the cross. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. So while he's on the cross, it says in verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished, so all this had taken place. Jesus had said, you know, these words, why have you forsaken me? And it says uh, that all this happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus says, I am thirsty. And a jar, uh, jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he received this drink, this is something that Matthew doesn't talk about that John kind of adds in and remembers. When he received the drink, Jesus said this, it is finished. It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. That's actually one word in the Greek, telestai. And this is what it means if you want to write this down. It is finished. If you want to circle it or underline it, it means this in the Greek. It was actually a, a business term, just so you know. The business terminology, and it means this, transaction complete or paid in full transactions complete, paid in full. It's actually a, a, a statement of joy, which is crazy. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's on the cross, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, knowing he's about to give up his spirit. And he says words of actual joy because as a businessman, when the transaction was complete, the deal was done. You got then whatever you just paid for. Or if you were in debt, paid in full meant you were no longer in debt. And many of us, we've, we've had that. We're, ah, oh, we got the bill and it said zero. And that feeling, and even in the midst of his anguish, he's saying words of joy, paid in full. Which means something has been bought, a debt has been paid. Whose debt? Our debt. You see, as soon as we are born, we are morally bankrupt. Immediately, because we have a nature that sins. And here's where it leads to. We're morally bankrupt, which means we are enslaved to someone then, right? And back then, they actually got it because when we get in debt now, it's kind of to a company, right? It's kind of to a credit. And if we can't pay it, then you can kind of make payments. and You got to work more jobs, you know, like that. But back then, if you couldn't pay a debt, you worked for them then. Or you had to give one of your kids and they worked for them. So when you, when you hear about slaves in the Bible, it's called indentured servants. 
Sometimes they get slaved through wars, right? You conquer another nation, you take them, they become slaves, they start building things for you, they start doing things. But plenty of people, they couldn't pay a debt. So it was either you, the wifey, the kid, which is an awkward, right, family conversation, right? Drawing straws or being like, well, which kid do we not like the most? You know, you have those weird conversations. We would never have that today, but they had that back then. That's why they had 11 kids, right? Just in case you get into a lot of debt. <laughs> they had to pay, and they were literally enslaved. The Bible says that as soon as we sin, we enslave ourselves to Satan because he's the father of lies. And here's the thing. In Christianity today, we like to talk a lot about God, but nothing about Satan, which is absolutely ridiculous because what you don't understand the gospel, the good news is. Because here's the bad news is, you on your own are actually enslaved to sin, which means you work for Satan. You accomplish the agenda of Satan. I'm not as would say that. Like, I don't listen to Metallica. You know, I don't do that stuff. I don't do bad things. I don't sacrifice dogs in the backyard and cut their throats and do, you know, I don't. Well, that's a false sense of what it means to be enslaved to Satan because the Bible says that Satan is, is an angel of light or, or deceives as an angel of light. He looks good, but he's very evil. Satan's job is just to get you not to trust God and become righteous through Christ. That's all he cares about. Whether you do a lot of bad things or you live a good life and you're trying to, again, live in your own economy of morality. He doesn't care. As long as you don't trust Jesus and realize that you're in debt and have Jesus forgive your debts. That's all he cares about. So the good news of what Jesus does is that he breaks the power of Satan. We are enslaved by sin. We are indebted which the Bible says leads to death, right? So who can save us? And that's the currency of the cross. The cross is like a currency. It's the confidence that says, debt forgiven. And only Jesus could do that. Only he could bear the cross. So when he says it is finished, what he means is it's, it's paid in full. Which means if you recognize you're, you're in debt, you recognize you can't pay it, by going to Jesus, you realize that then you are no longer enslaved to Satan, but you're also no longer enslaved to sin and enslaved then to the fear of death. You move from a slave of Satan to a child of God. It's called freedom. And that's why this is called Good Friday coming up. I never said this, kid. Hey, we got Good Friday before Good Friday? We just slaughtered Jesus. That should not be a good... Well, that's because I didn't understand what that meant. No, it's good because you're free. Otherwise, the weight of your life is on your shoulders and you're in debt and you can never get out. Even if you don't feel like you're like, I don't feel like I live in debt. There's plenty of people that act like they're not in debt. There's plenty of people that drive cars. They should not be driving, but they're like, I like it, right? They're driving and they're incredible. Have you met those people that they look so rich and you get on the inside, you're like, you are so poor. I like my little apartment or I like my little Honda because the, and, but they don't realize it. Well, I'm not stressed. No, but here's the thing. There always is a day of reconciling. You could live this whole life feeling like, I don't feel like I'm in debt. There's always is a day of reconciling. And it's better to reconcile sooner than later. That's my encouragement. That's the gospel. And what's crazy about that is that not only are we no longer bankrupt, but the righteousness of Jesus, Hebrews talks about this, is now given to us. That's the power of the cross. No longer are you not in debt, you're rich. 
Imagine you have a bank account that no one goes to zero. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, I see a million dollars in there. You wouldn't just be stoked that you're at zero. You're pumped. Now you're like, now I can really spend money and I'm not in debt. The joy that that brings. But someone else brought up as far as the, the gratefulness, right? When someone does something and we're indebted to them out of their, and that's what the Bible talks about. Now you're indebted out of love to Jesus. And so I serve him. When someone really struggles as far as, they're like, yeah, I want to follow God, but then the rest of their lives, like throughout the week, they think nothing of them, they live nothing from them. What they don't get is they don't get the transaction of grace. They don't get that they were in debt and they're out of debt. There's something deeper that they have to work through rather than trying to be a Christian and be a good person. It starts at the cross. None of us come to Jesus rich. We come poor. My kids, um, we all have our accounts linked because they're my family. I'm not linked to any of your accounts and you're not linked to my, you're not a part of my family. And that's important because when my kids were younger now, they both work a job now, so I'm gonna use an illustration when they were younger though, but they couldn't pay for things. They didn't have the, the money. They couldn't do it. And so if they needed something, they got linked to my account and it was credited from my account to their account and then they could do it. So this is how the Bible works. This is how the cross works. Is that no longer as far as your debt is forgiven, the Bible says that in Romans talks about that, that it is credited, Jesus' righteousness is credited to you. It means he, tr he transfers his righteousness into your account, into your soul. How does he do that? That's why the Holy Spirit, we talked about the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit's given to you as a deposit, the Bible says. And so that spiritual transaction, now he puts his righteousness in you. And that's how now I can live righteously and lovingly and with humility and, and generosity. It flows not by me going like, oh, I want to be a good person. It just naturally flows out of the thankfulness, but also the reality of his righteousness is being deposited into my soul. It comes from him. But you have to be in the family. How do I get in the family? The Bible says it's forgiveness and repentance. It's I acknowledge my debt. I acknowledge I can't do it on my own. I acknowledge that you did it. You thank him for it. He says, you're welcome. And he puts his spirit in you and he gives you a new heart, a new account. This is Romans 4, 4 through 8. Let me end with this. Romans 4, 4 through 8 is a beautiful passage. It says, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. How does he justify the ungodly? How does he make an ungodly person godly? Not by saying, try harder, curse less, drink less. No, no, it's, I've got to give you a new account. I've got to fill up a, an account that's in debt, that's in shame, that lacks any type of true supernatural righteousness that I'm going to deposit my righteousness into you. And it's a gift. And it says their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, which means happy. That's all blessed means. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. 
How can I know that God will never count my sins? The sins that some people know and other people will never know. How does he not count it against me? That's the power of the cross, you guys. That's why it's Good Friday. The cross gives you confidence, whether you feel like it or not, that you're forgiven. So that means that every time that you lack the morality and that you mess up because his account is abundant with righteousness, your debt is instantly paid. You never go to a negative. It's always a positive because there's endless amount of grace and righteousness to give you. So when I mess up tomorrow, when I mess up the next day, when I fall into sin, I'm no longer guilty of that sin. I can thank God that he's credited to me, to my soul, that I'm no longer in debt, and that instantly the account stays positive because he's constantly dumping in his righteousness into my heart and to my soul. So no longer are we debt-free, but we live in abundance. The power of the cross, as we go back to the thesis, is that it takes us from being morally in debt to righteous abundance. I want to encourage you with this. If you've been thinking about this thing with Christianity and Jesus, sometimes we've got to go back to the basics. Sometimes we've been struggling or we, we, we forget what God has done for us. Just like we do in life, right? Just like the person that was helped by their parents and their grandparents and their coaches, and they're like, I'm a self-made person. You've just forgotten all the grace. Some of us as Christians, and some of us maybe come here today and we're not Christians. But we know that we're bankrupt. We, we know there's something twisted going on that we can't fix. We have to go back to the cross. That's the beauty of Easter, but it's also the beauty of the cross. It takes us back to the basics. Reminding ourselves of you did not do it on your own. You can never do it on your own. And you know what? Even if you're a good person, that's monopoly money to God. He deals with real money. What's real money? That's righteousness from him that the Holy Spirit then uses that's supernatural. The world cannot produce it. A love that the world cannot produce, a peace, a generosity, a kindness, a forgiveness that the world knows nothing of. It's the economy of God. And he wants to deposit that into your heart and soul. Brian, how do I get it? That's why we take communion. Recognize you're in debt. Thank him for his deposit on the cross, for his blood, and receive it. And get rid of guilt, get rid of condemnation, and go from a slave of sin to a child of God. And here's the thing, once God adopts you, he never gives you up. Well, what if I act up? What if I throw a tantrum? What if You're his. His name is now on you. And he's going to bless you, whether you deserve it or not, which we never do, but he's going to bless you for the rest of your life. And through his blessings and his kindness, that's what changes you. Condemnation doesn't change you. It's God's kindness that changes you. And here's a crazy thing, Access. It's God's kindness that will change this world. As we receive God's righteousness, we go out from this school and we use God's economy in the way we interact with other people that they would be drawn to God because of the way we represent him. The worship team is going to come up and we got some awesome songs that are going to move you. I encourage you, make sure you download the app and have those words. Really see the words that we're singing today 
Um, just so you know, I believe the children's ministry, they're going to bring the kids over because they talked about the Lord's Supper today. So parents, you have two options. If you want to take communion with your kids and maybe pray together, you can do that. The children's ministry also will circle them up and they'll do their own thing. So if you want your kids to be with other kids, you kind of choose as a family what you want to do. But I just encourage you of this. What you're representing today through communion is Jesus on the cross going through the torment of being torn apart from the Father because of his love for you so that you don't have to be torn apart from God. But also we remember from communion, the joy of it is finished, paid in full. You live in abundance. So don't act like a person in debt anymore. You're no longer in debt. Live as a person that lives in prosperity from the righteousness that has been deposited to your heart and soul. So Jesus, the cross is good. And God, for some of us, it's so hard because we actually want to work for our own righteousness. We want to be able to live this life and stand before you being like, well, I wasn't that much in debt. But the problem is it doesn't matter how much the debt is. Some of us have a little bit of debt. Some of us have done a good job of having a lot of debt. But none of us can pay the debt. And so I'm just thankful, God. The cross gives me joy. The cross gives me hope. I pray for anyone here today, God, that is under the burden of debt. They realize that they can't be the good man they want to be, the good woman they want to be. They realize that they, they, there's something more that they're not living for. And Jesus, you have that, where we live for something beyond just this earth, beyond being healthy, beyond having money, beyond having a home and the two and a half dogs, three and a half kids, four and a half car, all that, that stuff just perishes. We live for something greater and you can deposit that into our hearts and soul. So Jesus, I pray today as a church that we repent of our debt and receive the blessing and the prosperity of your righteousness. You deposit into our hearts and that the cross would just be a reminder to us of our thankfulness and of your generosity. We worship you now in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.